Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And for further information, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. Okay, so when we have people in the room again, there'll be wild applause. Yes, thank you. That was lovely. Um, more than lovely. That was powerful. <sighs> so, my dears, you may not have watched all other three of this five-part series, but this is the fourth part of a five-part series. I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. Uh, is, is it Spiritual Living or CSL Seattle? CSL Seattle YouTube channel, uh, because this series is about walking in the footsteps of a master, a master teacher, a master liver, not, not liver, but I guess the liver's here, but uh, someone who showed us that we could be unconditioned by conditions, that we could be at peace, that we could Uh, have a a connection with God that allows us to rise above, literally (laughs) and figuratively, other conditions. And so this talk is not the same as the 9 o'clock, and it's not the same as the first service or the second service of last week. It is just a continual unfolding. And I did a lot of explanation, the the other talks, so I just want to go into today to give two lessons. I think I can get two lessons in, and then I will finish up on Good Friday. So what, we've, what I've looked at, and, and I'm actually condensing a class that I'm doing for ministers that's eight weeks, plus extra discussion time, because people the ministers are really applying this as their story, to walk in the footsteps of a master. See, most masters, whether it be Jesus or Buddha or Lao Tzu, they didn't want to be worshipped. They wanted their message to shift people. They didn't want to be set apart. They wanted to be set up so that people could stand on their shoulders not always be looking up to them. Jesus said, and I'm surprised that this wasn't edited out, but he said, even greater things than these you shall do also. If you keep my words, if you talk the way I talk, if you look at things the way I look at them, if you react the way I react, greater things than these you shall do also. And most of us haven't done that because we've said, that's him, that's 2,000 years ago, that's the story, that's long ago. No, God's what's happening. So at any moment, we have the opportunity to ask ourselves, well, what would Jesus do? And according to Emma Curtis Hopkins and Joel Goldsmith, who were mighty New Thought mystics, they said the instructions for life will be found in the book of John, the gospel of John. And it's different than the other synoptic, synoptic, synoptic gospels. It's got a different story. And my interpretation of that is, is that it is one long parable using the hero, Jesus, and how he responded to things. <sighs> so let's just leap on in. 
First, he was setting up his, he, he was discovering himself and setting up his own uh, mission and boundaries. He, he had boundaries. He had a gang, he had a posse. And then he knew that he was out there enough and, on, and disturbing the status quo enough that he would probably not be on this planet much longer. And he started to prepare the people who had been following him to take over the message when he was gone. He was setting them up for success. And I'll talk a little bit about that next on Good Friday, but that in itself is of that in and of itself is a whole work. I I am the daughter of a mother who didn't teach me anything about cooking or any of that type of thing because she said it was easier to do it herself. Thus, when I started cooking, I wasn't good at it. And what, because I wasn't give, good at it, I gave it up and said, I don't cook. Well, now I'm kind of enjoying it <laughs> because I, I realized, oh, guess what? I can learn this. My mother didn't set me up for success. I believe that the man, Joshua ben Yosef, was trying to set up his followers for success. And one of the ways that I know that is the story of what we would call the washing of the feet. So they gathered. It was sort of like a, a last, well, it was the last supper. Um, it was right before Passover, and they gathered for a, a meal together, and I, I was in the Jerusalem area about a, a year ago, a little over a year ago, and uh, travel can be dusty, and especially if you don't have pavement and just stones and things coming in and out. And so I, um, he was washing their feet, and, and, and Peter says, no, 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 don't wash my feet because you're the Lord. You're my master. You're my teacher. You're my, I follow you. You're, you're my rabbi. And, and he said, no, if I, don't, if I do not wash your feet, you can't go where I'm going. You can't really follow me. You can't do what I'm going to do. Now, that's, that, that's a story that has to have some other connotations because what? That means that, that everyone that doesn't have somebody else wash their feet, they can't go to heaven. They can't have prayer. Their prayers won't work. They won't know peace. They won't, they won't be able to um, sense the presence of God. No, it's, it's a metaphor. It's a parable. It's a parable. And here's how I know it's a parable. Because these are supposedly Jewish men, very private with the body. In the Gospel of John, it says he took off his robes and took a towel and put it around his loin, washed their feet and dried their feet with the towel. That's kind of exposing himself. I'm sorry, this is a metaphor. I don't think that happened. Not in a Jewish... Not in a Jewish loft. Actually, I was in a place where they supposedly had the Last Supper. I said, how do you know they had the Last Supper here? I was always asking that question. And here's where the Last Supper was. And it was kind of like a room up above this big, like, barn. And I, how do you know that's true? But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, my guides didn't like me. Anyway, so 
in an upper room, he is exposing himself. It's a metaphor. I don't think it was happening. But it does make sense if he said, I do this so that you understand. And metaphysically and metaphorically, the feet have always stood for understanding. Understanding. The Christ, this metaphor, this man who had embodied the essence of God to such a degree that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the origin. Because this is what the origin does and looks like when it has been fully manifest in form. Oh, and greater things you can do also. And where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have said so. He has, be he has become so sure of his own presence on earth that he says, nobody can do anything to me. If I die, it's because I let it happen. That's power. That's peace. That's serenity. That's security. He had a greater purpose than being popular. <laughs> but he says, you've got to understand. If you don't understand, you can't move forward. You'll just be parroting me. And I think that that's what's been happening for so many thousands, well, at least 2,000 years, is people would parrot things, but they didn't understand. You can't just tell people what to do. You have to help them understand. And I'm really getting this, and, and the ministers and I talked about this. That's why Ernest Holmes said, we do not tell people what to think. We tell people how to think. And how to think is... Does this express more good and harm no one, including myself? What we come to understand and what we need to get across as ministers, this is what we all decided is that because of one power and one life and one mind, there is no significant and insignificant. There's no higher and lower. We need to understand that, and we need to understand that so clearly that we know when something is wrong. We know when it's wrong. We don't have to be told it's wrong. People want to tell people it's wrong. You know what? I've noticed on Facebook that if people believe something, no matter what you say, you cannot change their mind. You can't. But we can say what we understand. And here's, here's what, I, the, what this purpose of this center is for is that understanding of that oneness includes a reverence for life, whether it is a mouse or an elephant or a this person or a that person. You know, I was reading, and probably you've run into these stories too, of, of a particular church on the East Coast where people would say, oh, we couldn't wait to see the pastor. I love the pastor. Nobody ever says that about me, by the way. And I'm perfectly okay with it. They were worshiping the pastor. Not the message that's been given, which is exactly what Jesus will say later. You, you have you've fallen in love with me instead of falling in love with the principle that I love. We do not teach that you revere, revere personality. We teach that you revere principle. Because principle then shows up as every personality that you run into. You know, there's a whole lot of talk about hate, which gives attention to hate. In fact, actually, I put a, a Facebook meme up on my, on my Facebook page, and I was basically uh, saying I was against hate and against uh, racial injustice, and, and someone 
really wise said, so what would be the opposite of that? They didn't say, oh, Kathy Ann, aren't, can't you be for something? They just said, what would be the opposite? And I realized that the, our understanding, our understanding of oneness, our understanding of there is no significant, significant or insignificant thing in God would allow us to let go of our hateful ideas. But that has to be understood. Otherwise, we're just legislating or, or pushing people in a corner and saying, don't you say that. Well, they'll still think it. And if they're thinking it, it still is going to show up in the world. Understanding. Like Jesus understood that I can serve you because I am no better than you. You got to get that. I'm washing your feet because you, you, you were my, my servants, my, my, my students, but now you're my friends. We're one in this. They had to understand that. There's so much that we need to understand, but we have to find that understanding with the principle of God. We have to let that Christ, that recognition of God within us, teach us the highest thought that we can have. And the highest thought that we can have is not nat 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 nat. It never comes out nat nat. I mean, I've had some nat nat. I know nyap nyap. I can speak nyap nyap. But you know what? When I look up and I become still and I become calm and I become willing to be informed by the presence of God so the word becomes form. In the beginning was the word or the plan and it took form. And when I'm willing to let that happen in me, it's never nyap nyap. It's always embrace, embrace. People who hate have been trained to do so because children don't come out of the womb hateful. They have some fears, perhaps, but they don't have hates. The reason that I love this teaching is that this teaching is all about all are significant because all are part of the plan. All are significant because all are part of the plan. And people will resonate with that and want to be fed by that and some people will resist that. But I have to understand that and I have to do what I can so people can understand that. Otherwise, we're just pointing fingers and coming up with a human plan instead of a divine revelation of healing. Jesus' story was all about there's no significant or insignificant. He, would, he had women in his posse. I mean, they kind of got written out, but the evidence is there. He had people that were despised by others. He touched lepers. He healed the son of a centurion who was a Roman who was like, ooh, the worst enemy ever. 
And he didn't say, well, if you can convert to Judaism, then maybe I'll heal you. No, he's just like, what the Christ does is they serve whoever's in front of them. What's happening now? Who are you, to, who are you supposed to serve? Who's in front of me? <laughs> That's what you do. To understand that is to have a sense of peace. Oh, and by the way, it will make us powerful in the world because it also, he also said, there will be many saviors come out of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the city of peace. When we come, to that, when we come into that presence of peace, we will have a better influence on the world than when we come out of gripe. I've shared this with class, and I'm, I'm really grateful that I don't think my sister will ever see this, but I will share it. I have sometimes in my head, not out verbally, but in my head, have judgments about my sister's lifestyle and what I interpreted that did to my mother. And... Uh, now that I'm seeing her more often and, and my mother's dead, she's, or has died or passed on or whatever, you know, whatever good euphemism we use for that is, she's turning to me more and I get to be a big sister. Well, it's hard to be a loving big sister and have the criticism in my head, so I, just, I, would, I would just look up and just say, you know, bless her, change me, bless her, change me, bless her, change me. The last time I saw her, it's like amazing, she's a new woman. I mean, it's like, who, who did this to you? How did that happen? And she hasn't, she, you know, it wasn't anything I said, but perhaps because I quit, quit holding her that way, she could evolve as we will all evolve. I could write a sermon on what she told me out of just her own revelation of truth and how she has shifted her life so dramatically. What I understand now is that by my turning my attention to God, I do more good in the world than by my trying to talk people into another way of living. <laughs> well, there, there goes this occupation. Ah, it's been nice. <laughs> the next thing is that after that, this, what they call the Last Supper, he, Jesus tells one more story about vines and branches. And you may have heard about the vines and the branches. Jesus is going along and he's seeing the wine branches and he says, you know, see how it, this has been groomed? And they do. Have you seen, gone to see wine, they, how, they, how they place it in certain, you know, they prop it up so that you can get to the grapes easily? And he says, see how this is groomed? And how the branches that aren't going to bear any fruit, they've been clipped off? This is, I don't, we don't grow grapes, but Tim for years and years and years has grown tomatoes. And because he really knows how to fertilize them, they really grow. But what he's always doing is he calls these, some branches suckers. And what they do is they don't have any fruit on them, but they will take the energy away from the branches that do have fruit. So he's always clipping them off. And so I would imagine they're doing the same thing with the grapes. 
And what he says is, God is the husbandman, meaning the person that takes care of these grapes, and I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those branches that don't bear fruit will be clipped off. Like, that's a disturbing metaphor. I mean, really, God the good is going to see if you're not producing fruit now, just clip you off. Just you're not going to heaven. You might not even live. Now, that's not the God of love. So there's got to be a metaphor in this. It's got to be a parable. And what I, the way that I now interpret that parable is, is that that, that vine that is the very root of my life, if I'm connected to that root which goes into the ground and gets the nourishment of the earth and the water from the earth and, and moves up into me, if as long as I stay established in the Christ, God itself will cut away the thoughts that aren't good for me. Like something told me to stop telling my sister how to live. That wasn't my thought. When we are established and when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we seek first being established in the ground of our being, which is what philosophy would call what we might call heaven, the ground of our being, when we are established in that and being fed by that, our thoughts, our branches will bear fruit or they'll be trimmed away. For those of you that have been in a consistent spiritual practice for months or years, you'll notice that you don't think the same way you used to. And you don't have to tell yourself, no, 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 no. It just, pretty soon it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think that. And it's easy because we're, we're grounded in our spiritual essence, which is the Christ which is just one, a, what, another word. It's, it's got a Christian connotation to it. But, you know, Christians never called themselves Christians. Somebody made that up. The followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way. The way. So when I follow this way of knowing that I am one with the Father, one with the origin, when I follow that way, my thoughts will bear fruit. Now, here's the thought. I want you to get this. The thought that will bear fruit that we need to support is the thoughts of our hopes, not our fears. Because when we start to do our spiritual practice, when we spend time in meditation and in prayer and in forgiveness and all of the things that we've heard about, we will become more hopeful. We just do. And then we allow the energy of the infinite to move into those hopes, and that's called faith. We move into the, our hopes. I'm always asking myself, what do I hope for? Because that hope is the beginning of a new life, just like a new branch. And so many of us have, have dampened down our hopes or become hopeless for right now. But the more we do our spiritual practice, the more those hopes will start to establish themselves. And it's good to take care of those hopes and to let them flourish. And then when we see those thoughts, those fears, those, those judgments, those condemnations, we say, Father, Mother, God within, I don't need those anymore, and they get clipped away.
To me, that's a metaphor that works. And that's my religion. I was telling someone recently that what something is my religion or, my, or not my religion. Our religion, our personal religion, is our way to connect with the infinite. Religion meant to bind together. Religion was, was set up so that the soul could remember and connect and live from its spiritual essence or origin. So that the soul and spirit had a holy union. Well, if I'm doing something that, can, that disconnects me from that union, then that's against my religion. And it's more powerful than if I'm told how to think or I'm told what to do. And believe me, at that time, the Jewish people had to-dos. I, told, I talked about the shoulds and the should-nots. There were 640 or 630, I forget which, what the number was, of the Pharise- rules that the Pharisees had set up that a person had to do in order to be pure when the Savior came and heaven could be established. And then they were all about telling people what they could and couldn't do so that they could stay pure. Now, that's a, that's a job. You weren't supposed to touch a dead body. Well, who buries them? You weren't supposed to touch a woman who was menstruating. That's hard when you got a wife and daughters. There was all these rules. But that's not religion. That's rules. Our religion is for the establishment of the soul and the spirit together. And I will not tell you what to think but I'll tell you how to think. And that is, does that thought bring you closer to your God? Does it bring you more into alignment with love? Does it harm no one? In fact, do good for everyone, including yourself. Now, that's a religion I can follow, so I'd be a follower of the way. More on this, more on this Good Friday. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. It gets more exciting. (laughs) Let's pray. So I just give thanks for this day. Thank you for this day, Spirit. Thank you for this day. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for this day. Because this is the day when it's happening. It's happening. And in the richness of this moment... In the richness of this moment, I speak this word that I know that the presence and the power and the love of God is rising up in me and everyone who's listening to this message because that's what it does. Just like the sap of a tree or a plant or a a vineyard rises up, so too it rises up in us and allows us to spread out and to be fruitful, to bless, to bless, to bless, and to benefit from the blessing. Oh, thank you, God, for this. For this I am glad. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. This is Palm Sunday. This is Passover. Let us rejoice. Because God's in the house. So it is.